All right. Well, praise the Lord. Well, today we're going to wrap up our series on financial fitness. And uh, how many of you guys enjoyed John Wesley and Samantha last Sunday? Come on, give them a round of applause. And... Uh, so thank you guys so much for filling in and doing a great job. I got to listen to them. I was in Louisiana last week preaching, and I had an opportunity to minister to some leaders in a local NRP church there. And uh, so on the drive home, got to tune in and listen to the Word of the Lord. And what a great, challenging message. And uh, I'm just thinking about all that stuff in our mini storage that we're going to give to Samantha. If you didn't hear that, you ought to go back and listen to it. Amen. Well, we asked the question a couple weeks ago. We said, why do a series on money? And we said, really, there's two main reasons. Number one, the reason we're going to talk about money in church is because money is the one thing everybody thinks about every day. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, where you live, what kind of, what kind of background you come from. Everybody every day thinks about money. At least we think about the things that money can buy, food, clothing, shelter, provision. The second reason we're going to do a series on money is because Jesus actually talked a lot about money. He talked about money. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't just talk about money. Jesus made this amazing connection. He connected how we use money to the spiritual condition of our heart. And all of a sudden we begin to recognize when you read the scripture that Jesus understood that the way that we use and handle our money is a reflection of the true condition of our heart. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. It's our foundational scripture. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So we said, if you look at that first point, that in order to be financially fit, we said there's three things that need to happen. We need to lose weight. And that means we got to get out of debt. Amen. we got to begin to get out of debt because the borrower is servant to the lender. So we've got to lose weight. The second thing we said is we have to get in shape, right? I've got to lose weight, and then I've got to get in shape. How do I get in shape? Well, that's what John Wesley and Samantha talked about last week. we got to begin to operate off of a budget. If I don't tell my money where to go, it just goes. That's right. It just goes. So I've got to get in shape financially. I've got to begin to work a budget and then I've got to begin to cultivate some financial goals and plans in my life so I can move toward what God has for me. The third element of that is, is lose weight, get in shape, and then we want to build muscle. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I need all the guys in the room to help me out. Let me hear your best muscle groaning, grunting sound. Come on. <clears throat> Man, y'all sound good. I don't have a good grunt. I don't need to work on my grunt. Y'all sound really good. So we're going to build some muscle, right? So let's talk about building financial muscle. Look at that next point on your outline. So we build financial muscle when we get our money to work for us instead of us working for money. We build financial muscle when we get our money to start working for us instead of us working for our money, right? In, in the financial world, one of the phrases they would use is passive income. And that's when you're asleep, your money's making money. When you're at church, your money's making money, right? When you're on vacation, your money's making money. That's a pretty good thing, right? Amen. Where our money actually begins to make money and begins to work for us instead of us spending our lives working for 
money. So financially fit means that we get to that place where we begin to build enough financial muscle where our money begins to work for us. Now, in the Bible, the Bible doesn't use the word passive income. The Bible uses the word wisdom. I want you to look with me in Proverbs 21, verse 20. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, the wise have wealth and luxury. But fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Let me give you a thought right here today. Wealth and luxury do not come by spending. Wealth and luxury comes by investing your money. You've got to stop spending money and you've got to start investing money so that your money begins to work for you instead of you working for money the rest of your life. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 and 2. It says, send your grain across the seas and in time profits will flow back to you. Let me give you a key phrase right there. And in time. I don't know if you know this, there is no such thing as get rich quick. <laughs> All those get rich quick schemes don't work. Can I get an amen from somebody that tried them like me? You ever tried one of those things? Man, you're going to make a million dollars in the first three years. Not. Send your seed across the sea, send your seed across the sea, and in time it will bring back a profit. Look at that next verse, verse 2. But divide your investments among many places, for if you for you do not know what risk might lie ahead. Divide your investments among many places. That's called diversification. It means to diversify. Don't put all your money in one place. Don't put all the old timers would say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. How many of y'all know Dave Ramsey just read the Bible? He just read the Bible. The greatest financial book ever written is the B-I-B-L-E. God in his wisdom tells us how to prosper. Don't just invest in one place. Divide your investments. Why? Because you don't know what risk lies ahead. Nobody knows the future, but if you diversify and invest in multiple places, then when one thing is up, another might be down, and you're still going to make some money. Come on, somebody. And let me just go ahead and tell you guys, if y'all think I'm being unspiritual talking about money, then I'll take all yours. Come on. How many know you think about it every day? Let me give you one more thought right here. Look at verse 6 of Ecclesiastes 11. I love this verse. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you do not know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. Now, let me give you something. I, the Holy Spirit really quickened this in my heart. I think that especially in America, we have a distorted image of wealth. And we have a distorted image of work. We have this idea that if I get wealthy, I don't have to work. Let me tell you something. We don't create wealth so we can stop working. Work is a gift. Before the curse of sin came on the earth, God had gave Adam a task to do. He was to work the ground. 
Why? Because work is a gift from God. Work is the only thing that takes the gifts and the calling and the creativity of God that's in you and releases it into the earth. You should never stop working. Now, you don't always have to work a job. But you should never stop working. The purpose of wealth is not to keep you from working. The purpose of wealth is to give you the opportunity to choose how you work. You get to choose how you're going to use your gifts and your talents. You get to choose how you're going to get up every day and, and, and live with purpose. The worst thing that can ever happen to any person, you guys have seen it a million times over, is just stop doing anything. Stop working. I'm not talking about jobs. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about using your gifts. I'm talking about living with purpose. I'm talking about making a difference in somebody else's life. I'm talking about getting up every day and knowing that I got more than a rocking chair waiting on me. We got rocking chairs on our front porch. That's for visitors. That's for iced tea in the summer and coffee early in the morning. But that ain't where I'm looking for. Come on, somebody. I'm going to die working harder than I'm working now. Why? Because i got more to give than I've ever had before in my entire life. How about you? The older you get, the more you got to give. Don't be slowing down. Come on. you got more wisdom now at 50 years old than you had when you were 30 years old, than you had when you were 40 years old, let's just be honest, than you had when you were 49 years old. You're getting smarter. you got more to give. you got more time. you probably got more money if you've had some wisdom about you. Don't stop. Start refocusing and refreshing your life on using what God has given you. So the purpose of wealth, listen to what he said. He said, plant your seed in the morning and then keep busy all afternoon. Because you don't know what might produce the profit in your life. Purpose of wealth is not to stop working. The purpose of wealth is to give you a choice where you work and how you work and what work you put your hands to. Amen? All right, so let's get real practical real quick. Look at that next point. So step one into building financial muscle is savings. Saving money. Right? Your savings is your seed because we learned this last week, right? John Wesley and Samantha taught us to us because you can only invest what you own, not what you owe. If you owe it, it's not yours. The mortgage payment, that's not yours. You owe it. The electric bill is not yours. The phone bill is not yours. The car payment is not yours. The credit card bill not yours. That's not your money. If you owe it, you don't own it. And when you stop owing, then you own. Come on, somebody. And you can't invest what you don't own. So saving is the key. And saving is really simple. Here's how you save. You spend less than you make. Can I get an amen from somebody? And you know what's good news about that? Everybody can do that. Everybody can spend less than what they make, and it doesn't matter how much you make. Now, you're going to have to work on getting out of debt. You're going to have to get a budget. Last week, let me just tell you something. Last week's message on budgeting and financial goals is the key to everything we talked about the first week and everything we talk about this week. Because if you don't manage your money, you'll never save a penny. One out of every four Americans, one out of every four Americans has zero money in savings. They have no emergency fund, zero money in reserves. So you know what that means? Kelly and I lived many, of our, many years like this, and this is what it meant. 
It meant when the washing machine tore out, tore up, we were in trouble. Because now I'm going to have to not pay something in order to fix the washing machine. And if the motor blows up, well, that meant probably I'm going to have to walk. <laughs> but you know what? If you can learn how to save money. And then somebody, I had this thought. I thought, well, you know, Keith, couldn't I borrow money? To invest and make money off money I borrowed. And yes, that's true. Dave Ramsey is against all debt. I'm not saying Dave Ramsey's right or wrong about that. But here's what I do know. Let me tell you this. If you're not disciplined enough to save money, you won't be disciplined enough to borrow money and invest it wisely and actually make a profit. You can't save a dollar? Then don't be borrowing dollars to invest to try to make money. You'll end up in trouble. You'll end up with more debt and more problems, and more pain than you ever imagined or hoped for. Y'all still with me? Everybody good? All right. So we're going to start with savings. That's step one. i got to begin to save. Look at that next point. In order to build financial muscle, you also need to build your resistance muscle. You have to resist spending your savings on liabilities so you can invest your savings into assets. Let me give you a simple definition. Liability is something that costs you money. An asset is something that can make you money. So a good question for us to ask ourselves before we buy anything, is this going to cost me money or make me money? Is this going to cost me money or make me money? And you've got to build that resistance. Because just because you can afford it doesn't mean you need to buy it. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you need to buy it. Just because somebody else has it doesn't mean you need one too. Keeping up with the Joneses will keep you in debt. And have you noticed? Let me tell you what I've noticed being around some people that have some wealth. I've noticed that the people that flaunt their money really don't have any. And the people that you never would think had money, they're, they're loaded. <laughs> and I like to get up close to those people because they got some wisdom they can teach me. I want to learn from those people. The people that are flaunting their wealth are in debt up to their eyeballs. Samantha shared some statistics last week of celebrities and all these famous people that have went bankrupt and lost everything. They had all this stuff and then they had nothing. So I want to just encourage you to think about this. So we've got to resist the temptation to spend. So when you start saving money, let me tell you something. If you've ever put a little, if for, for many years Kelly and I lived without a savings. And when we started saving money, I'm just going to tell you, it just felt good. To know we weren't broke at the end of the month. That was nice. But then there's that little temptation. Well, you know, you got a little extra money. You know, you've been wanting to do that, and you've been wanting to buy that, and you've been wanting to go there, and you've been wanting to do this. And there's that temptation to do all those things. I'm not saying you can't do any of that stuff. I'm just saying there's an order in which we do this stuff. And if I spend my savings on liabilities, then I'll never create enough assets and investment to produce income in my life so I can enjoy what I have. Y'all still with me? Amen. Pastor Keith Tusi, I'll just share this with you. Pastor Keith Tusi, one of the things he told me early on, one of the first lessons I gleaned from his life is we were talking one day and... Uh, he said, years ago, he said, I made the decision, and this is what he called it. He said, I want to live a fasted life. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, simply this. He said, 
One day a week I fast physically, food. He said, one day a week I fast food. And he said, and then I regularly tell myself no. When I want to buy something or do something or go somewhere that's just pleasure. He said, I don't tell myself no all the time. He said, but I regularly tell myself no. <laughs> no, I'm going to wait. He said, and I'll say, no, I'm not going to buy that this week. I'm going to wait till next week. No, we're not going to do that vacation this year. We're going to wait till next year. And he said, I just decided years ago I wanted to live a fasted life so that my flesh was not ruling my spirit. And that when I get to the end of my life, I want to know that I live my life in a way that honored God instead of just fueled and fed the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life. And I grabbed hold of that years ago, and I thought, Lord, that's powerful. I want to live a fasted life. I want to learn how to say no to myself. Not all the time, but at strategic times. As a matter of fact, I'm a techie guy, so you guys know I like gadgets and gizmos. And so, I mean, when something new comes out, whoo. I mean, I'm an Apple geek too, you know, so. And I just, I just, I got an iPhone 11. That thing's old. And I just keep telling myself, no. It does everything that iPhone 13 Pro that's now in green. Did y'all see the commercial? It's in green. Really cool. We're moving on. Y'all with me? All right, two types of investment. Let's talk about two types of investment. There are, there are supernatural investment, and then there's natural investments. Two types of investments. One is supernatural. The other is natural. And let me just say this to you. All investment requires faith. If you're going to invest in the kingdom of God, it's going to require faith. You're going to have to trust God, and you're going to have to trust the system that God has in place because there is a spiritual system of prosperity that God has put in place in the kingdom of God, and it's going to require faith. You're going to have to trust God to do that. If you invest in the natural realm, and we're going to talk about natural investments here in a few minutes. If you start buying stocks and bonds or mutual funds or launch a business or whatever you might try to do, if you invest in the natural realm, it's also going to require faith. You're going to have to have faith in that person or that business or that company that they're going to do what they said they would do. And here's what I believe. I just want to throw this out there. I believe that as Christians, we should invest in both. We should invest supernaturally in the kingdom of God because I believe it's through our supernatural investments that God prospers us so we can have the resources for natural investments to go further than we ever imagined. So I believe we should have both. So let's talk about supernatural versus natural investments. Look at that next point on your outline. So we invest in the kingdom of God through tithes and offerings. It is a supernatural investment, and God multiplies the seed we sow and produces a supernatural ROI, return on investment. God produces a return on your investment. When we bring our tithes and our offerings into the house of God, you know what God does? God multiplies the seed that we sow. Now, we've already taken up the offering, so everybody relax, right? Nobody anxious here today. I want to teach you something. Let's look at Leviticus 27, verse 30. The Bible says this, one-tenth, and I put in parentheses there, tithe, because in the King James, the word is tithe. That's what the word tithe means. To tithe is to give one-tenth of your income. 
And it says, look what God says in Leviticus 27. One-tenth or the tithe of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees. And if you read on, it doesn't matter if it was, if it was crops or if it was cattle. One-tenth belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Let me just remind you about something about the tithe, and, and this is important. I used to never speak on money, and, and the Lord told me one day, He said, Keith, you're robbing the children of the, you're robbing the church of the blessing of God because you're not teaching them what I say about money. So let me teach you about the tithe real quick. The tithe, the Bible says, belongs to God. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning to God what belongs to him. Let's just imagine I gave Donald a $100 bill and said, Hey, Donald, could you hold this for me? And I'm going to get it back from you next Sunday. So next Sunday we come to church. Ronald give me, gives me my $100 back. And then he goes over and he tells Eric. He said, Man, you know what, Eric? I just gave Pastor Keith $100. No, you didn't give me $100. You just returned to me what I gave to you. It was my money, and I just asked you to hold it. How many know that it all belongs to God? So tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning to God what belongs to Him. And tithing is not just giving 10%. Tithing is giving the first 10%. And let me tell you why that matters. It matters because if you don't give God the first 10%, it requires no faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do we please the Lord? By faith. And so when I tithe, I give God the first 10% of my income. I bring it into the house of God and I give my tithe to the church and I've honored the Lord and that was by faith. If I pay all the bills and buy all the groceries and do all the things I need to do and then if I have something left, I give God 10%. I didn't tithe, I just tipped God. Because that didn't require faith. No faith in doing everything I need to do, and if I have anything left, giving that to God. That's not faith. That's a good thing, but it's not the tithe. You just tipped. And by the way, if you go to the restaurant, you're going to tip your waiter more than 10%, at least if you let them figure it in for you. So the tithe is the first 10% that we give that honors the Lord. And then there's a blessing that comes with it. Malachi chapter 3, I want you to see this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Kelly and I are doing a chronological read through the scriptures right now. And we just finished Leviticus and we're in Deuteronomy. And, and what God is doing is he's revisiting all these things. And if you read the Bible, you'll find out God had a purpose for the tithe. And the purpose for the tithe is just what we read, that there may be food in his house. The tithe is God's provision for the house of God. It's how God pays the light bill and the water bill. And how God builds buildings and how God funds and supports ministry. How many of you thankful we got a youth ministry reaching young people? How many of you thankful we got children's ministry that while you're in church worshiping the Lord, undisturbed and undistracted by your kids, they're back there learning about Jesus and the truth of God has been instilled in their heart? How many of you thankful that on Tuesday night we're free feeding people, several thousand people a year, a free meal at Celebrate Recovery, thanks to Miss Joy and her good cooking over there? Amen. And people are getting set free from addiction and hurts and habits and hang-ups. How many are thankful that people are being delivered and empowered through Encounter Weekends and finding freedom in Christ? People are getting saved, set free, and made whole. Generational curses are being broken. And all of those things are the result of the tithe. The tithe is God's provision for the vision of His house. 
And that's how the church does what the church does. That's how God meets the needs of his body and advances his kingdom in the earth through the simple simplicity of the tithe. Amen? All right, so Malachi 3, bring all the tithes in the storehouse. There may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. One place in Scripture, God challenges you to test him or try him. He says, see if I will not open to you the windows of heaven, pour out on you a, such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall your vine fail to bear fruit for you in the land, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, and you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God says, if you'll honor me with the tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven over you, and I'll pour out blessings on you so great you can't contain. How many have ever had one of those divine connections? You ever met somebody, you were in the right place at the right time and opened up the right door, and all of a sudden God blessed you and God prospered you and God opened the door of provision for your life? That's the faithfulness of God. Cindy Howard, Cindy and, uh, Cindy and Howard Hill, who lead our children's ministry, Cindy, they have amazing testimony of the power of tithing. And I don't know if Howard loves it as much as Cindy does, but this is how the story goes. She said they were... They were committed to tithing and honoring the Lord, and they were going through a difficult time in their life. And she said, Howard told her to write that tithe check and put it in. And she said, I just started praying. And she said, every time we'd pray and didn't think we were going to have enough, Howard would get overtime. And then he'd get more overtime. And then he'd get more overtime. Now, again, I don't know how excited Howard was about it. But Cindy walked away, and this is what she did. This is how spiritually minded the lady leading your kids is. She recognized that that overtime was an answer of provision. God was opening the windows of heaven and meeting their needs more than they ever asked or imagined. And God has continued to prosper them and bless them more than they could ever hope for and continues to enlarge their territory. Amen. So God is good. Amen. There is a supernatural blessing that comes. So let's flip the coin for just a second. Let's talk about offerings. So what are offerings? Offerings are anything that we give above our tithes that help to advance the gospel or meet the needs of those who are poor and in need. Let me tell you something. God loves broken, hurting people. God loves to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. God loves to care for the least of these. That is on the heart of God. The Bible says, he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and God himself will repay them. God loves broken, hurting people, and he loves to do it. So our offerings or anything we give, like this Ukrainian thing, anything we give above our tithes that goes to make a difference in somebody else's life. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 10. He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let me just stop right there because this is important that you hear this. Sometimes I'll have somebody read the scripture to me and say, well, Pastor Keith, it doesn't say to tithe here. The Bible says for us to give as we purpose in our heart. So can I just give whatever I want to give? Yes, you can, but... Paul's not talking about the tithe. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning to the Lord what belongs to him. He says, let every man give as he purposes in his heart. If you'll go back up and read the beginning of the chapter, you know what you'll find out? Paul was taking an offering for the Jerusalem church. The believers in Jerusalem were under persecution. And they needed financial help. 
And Paul is coming to all the other churches, and he's saying, hey, guys, I want you to go ahead and collect an offering, and I want you to give as God purposes in your heart. You don't have to give anything. If you want to give a lot, you can give a lot. If you want to give a little, you can give a little. If you don't want to give anything, you don't have to give anything. But I want you to give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Right? We don't want you to give because Pastor Keith made me feel bad. Y'all with me? Don't give because I made you feel bad. I don't want to make you feel bad. I want to make you feel good about honoring God. Amen? So he's talking here not about their tithes. He's talking about their offering, giving to meet a need that was in the Jerusalem church. And how appropriate we're talking about meeting needs in the Ukraine. Look what he says, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Man, that's a lot of alls. Look what Paul said. He said, if you'll give as you purpose in your heart, God loves a cheerful giver. Just give as you purpose in your heart. This is what he says. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Look what he says. All grace abound towards you, having all sufficiency in all things so that you may have an abundance for every good work. You know what I know about givers? Their hearts are full. I've never met a miserable giver. When you really meet somebody that lives out of a generous heart, they are happy people. Because all grace and all sufficiency at all times is poured on their life. And they have an abundance in every area of their life. And it's so beautiful. And you guys know, right? You know the givers. You know the givers that are in your life. You know the people you know that are generous. And every, every time you can say this without a shout out, those generous people are happy people. And they're not happy because they have more than everybody else. They're happy because they have given. And out of that generosity, God has given back to them all grace, all sufficiency, and all things. And they have an abundance in their lives that flows from the supernatural return from God. Now look, look at this. Verse 10. I want you to read verse 10 with me. Look at this scripture together. It says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I wrote this down. I don't want to mess it up. Let me just read this to you. What I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Financial seed sown into the kingdom of God gets multiplied supernaturally. How many know God can't multiply seed you don't sow? In the natural, right? I mean, hey, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm already thinking. I was this preparing for this message. I started thinking about watermelons. I thought, boy, it's not going to be long. We're going to plant some watermelons. Or somebody else will plant some watermelons, and I'll buy one. That's kind of how it works around our house. Somebody else plants it, and I buy a watermelon. But you know what? You can hold on to that watermelon seed. As long as you hold that watermelon seed, it will never multiply, and it will never grow. But the moment you plant it, God multiplies the seed you sow. And that one seed produces a vine of watermelons, and each watermelon has hundreds of seeds. That's the kingdom. That's what happens when we live generous lives. That's what happens when we not only tithe and honor God with what belongs to him, but we begin to become generous people, giving according to the purpose of our own heart and honoring God in those areas of our generosity. But then he goes on, because this is, this is good. He goes on and says, not will he multiply the seeds you have sown, but he will increase the fruits of your righteousness. Increase the fruits of your righteousness. 
Think about this. Every time you tithe and every time you give into Liberty Church, every soul that's saved, every addict that gets set free, every generational curse that gets broken, every child and young person that comes to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a tither and a giver into this house, you know what God says? God says, cha-ching, that's on your account. You just increase the fruits of righteousness in your account because you seeded financial seed that produced a spiritual harvest. And God says, cha-ching. Kelly and I are going to give some money to go to Ukraine. And you know what? When those people get fed and souls get saved and, and moms and kids are encouraged in the faith, God's going to look down at Arab Alabama. He's going to say, cha-ching. Cha-ching. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of supernatural increase that comes from investing in the kingdom. Y'all still with me? Luke 6, 38, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom for, 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 with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. All right, now let's look at our next point. We're going to kind of land the plane here if I can. I got two more thoughts. So let's flip the coin. Supernatural investments are tithes and offerings. Natural investments, we invest... When we invest in mutual funds, stocks and bonds, businesses or real estate, this is a natural investment using the power of compound interest to produce an amazing return on investment, ROI, a return on investment. Let me just tell you this. Let me go ahead and just be up front with you. Uh, Kelly and I, in this area, we're late bloomers. <laughs> Took us a long time to get here or what I'm about to talk about. Many of you are way ahead of us. Some of you are way behind us. It doesn't matter where you are. I hope this resonates with you and you see some truth today from the Word of God. Took us a long time to get to the point where we're about to talk about where we're actually doing what I'm preaching on right now. We've been doing this first part. Tithes and offerings, we've had that down our whole life. But this financial investment, we are just now, over the last couple of years, starting to step in to beginning to do those things in our lives and starting to see financial fruit because of it. So in the natural, we invest using the power of compound interest. Albert Einstein, you guys know who he is? He called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. And this is what he said. I love what he said. He said, if you understand compound interest, then you'll earn money from it. If you don't understand compound interest, then you will pay money to it. <laughs> you'll either make money or you'll lose money based on your understanding of compound interest. So this is what I wanted to do. I want to give you this, some, some real numbers on the screen, okay? So we got this we're going to put up there. Let me talk to you about Jane and about John. I just picked on those two J people, so we're going to put that up there on the screen. So let's talk about Jane real quick. Let's talk about compound interest for just a second. If Jane invests $500 a month drawing 8% compound interest, now I looked and, and uh, did a little research and the average mutual fund, Dave Ramsey is a mutual fund guy, so we've kind of went that direction personally in our lives. Uh, but he's a big Dave, he's a mutual fund fan. But the average mutual fund over the last 15, 20 years has drawn about 8.5% interest. So I just put this number together so I could give you a real figure. So if Jane invests $500 a month drawing 8% interest from age 25 to 65, she will have invested $240,000. She will make a profit of $1.5 million and have a total investment of value of $1.7 million. Her $240,000 will turn into $1.7 million. The younger you are, you ought to hear me today. 
I had somebody come up to me after service, and they said, Keith, they call that runway now. So my runway is not as long as the runway of a 20-year-old. My runway is a little shorter than a 20-year-old's. Not a lot, but a little. About 30 years shorter. <laughs> Help me, James. All right, so look at John. Let's talk about John. So John... John wasn't as smart as Jane. He was, a little, he was a late bloomer like me, so he waited till he was 40 years old to start investing that same $500. At the age of 65, he will have invested $150,000. He'll make a profit of $326,000 for a total investment value of $477,000. So his $150,000 turns into almost a half a million dollars in 25 years. Now, let's look at one more. Point. So let's talk about Jane. Let's, maybe you're out there and say, Pastor Keith, there's no way I can invest $500. What about $25 a week? Could you save $100 a month? Because if you could save $100 a month, look at this next, next screen here. If Jane only invested $100 a month over those 40 years from 25 to 65, that'd be $48,000. She'd make a profit of $303,000 for a total return of $351,000. Her $48,000 would turn into $350,000 by just investing $100 a month. Now, John, look at John again, late bloomer like me. Didn't start till he was 40 years old. He'd invest $30,000, make a profit of $65,000, total $95,000. He can turn $30,000 into $95,000 in 25 years by just investing $100 a month. Now, I said all that hopefully to maybe expose some of you if you were like me a few years ago. I didn't understand or know any of this stuff, and I still know about that much. But I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm a student now. And there's a lot of great ways that you can invest your money. And I want to challenge you. Be frugal. Be, be intuitive. Do your due diligence. Do all that stuff. Talk to people that are a whole lot smarter than me and you. And learn from other people's mistakes. Let their money make mistakes before you make the same mistakes they did. Amen? And learn from them. we got a bunch of really smart, prosperous people in Liberty Church, by the way. So it's not hard to find them. You start asking. All right, let me give you our last point. Here it is. God expects a return on investment from us. God expects a ROI, a return on investment from our lives. And one day we will all be audited by God. And when you talk about somebody getting audited by the IRS, everybody gets nervous. I'm just going to tell you something. There's something worse than being audited by the IRS, and that is that one day every person on planet Earth is going to be audited by God. God is going to audit your life. Everything that we have comes from God, and we will be held accountable for what He has given us. Everything you have, natural, spiritual, financial, relational, comes from God, and you and I will all be held accountable for what we did with what God gave us. James chapter 1 verse 17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And one day we're going to all give an account for how we handled what God gave us. Look at Matthew 25. I want you to hear this. I'm just going to read this story to you. It's a parable from scripture. I'm going to let the parable speak for itself, but I want you to hear this. Verse 14 of Matthew 25. Jesus is speaking and he says, and again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story. So Jesus is telling us that this story is an illustration of the kingdom of heaven. This is how God's kingdom works, he says. Look what he says. 
A man goes on a long trip. He calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them while he is gone. Jesus is the, is the master. He's gone away. We're the servants, right? We've been entrusted with the things God has given us. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. I love that little phrase, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Why? Because God has entrusted us with what he knows we can effectively and efficiently manage and reproduce a harvest for him. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, that kind of upsetting because that means God gave somebody else more stuff than he gave me. And you're absolutely right. And you ought to be thankful. I'll tell you, I'm thankful. How many of you have ever seen a kid get too much too fast? How many of you have ever seen an adult get too much too fast? <laughs> and it will destroy your life. God loves you so much, he has given you in proportion to what you can manage. And he wants every person, hear me, every person to prosper and succeed. Not everybody's going to make the same amount of money because God wants to reach the world. Can I get an amen from somebody? God has strategic places and positions for each and every one of us. And God wants to bless and prosper you no matter where you find yourself in that process. Amen? So let's read the rest of the story. Here it is. 16. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest some money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. And after a long time, their master returned from his trip, called them together to give an account of how they had used his money. He called them together to give an account of how they had used his what? And Jesus said, let me go back and read the first verse, and the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated this way. So it makes me think God's going to have me give an account not just for how I live my life, but how I manage my money. Maybe I'm misreading it, but I don't believe I am. Verse 20, the servant whom he entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Small amount now give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Come on, we're going to have a party. Verse 22, the servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid I would lose your money. Let me just say this to you today. Fear causes us to live a life of insufficiency. Fear causes us to hold back and not live by faith, which means I've got to trust God and I've got to even trust some people because God wants me to take what he's given me and produce a return on investment. He's looking for more than what he gave. How many of y'all would say that's a pretty wise businessman? How many of y'all know God's pretty wise? So I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. And look, here's your money back. And the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, just in case you didn't interpret that correctly, that was not a compliment. <laughs> you wicked and lazy serpent. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gather crops, I didn't cultivate them. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. 
And then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. That's a sobering scripture. That's not intended to condemn us. If you look at the heart of God, the heart of God is to prosper you. To those who use well what they were given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. That's the heart of God. Fear keeps us in bondage. Fear keeps us from trusting God with our tithes and our offerings. Fear keeps us from investing our resources naturally in trusted systems, not foolishly investing, trusted systems that can produce increase in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll just dig a hole and bury it. And God will say, you wicked and lazy servant. That's not the heart of God. God wants to prosper his people. So let's just bow our heads today. What are you doing with what God's giving you? Really, that's the heartbeat of this message today. Are you investing? Or are you just spending, consuming, and bearing God's investment in your life in a way that produces no results. So Lord, I pray today, God, beginning with me, Lord, help me be a faithful steward. God, help me be faithful with everything you've given me, physically, financially, spiritually, relationally. Help me be faithful. Help me to honor you. And Lord, I thank you that your heart for every person here today and every person watching online, your heart is to prosper us. Your heart is to give us more than we've ever even imagined that we might have an abundance because you have blessed us that we might be a blessing. So Lord, I pray that today, right now, I, I just rebuke any type of condemnation. Lord, I thank you that you're not condemning us today. God, we're not condemned. We're loved. Lord, I pray that today we have been taught and trained in the truths of your word and that we would be doers of your word. God, help us to be found faithful. And maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and maybe you realize you've never, you've never invested money, but you, the, the reality is you've never even given God your life. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the most important thing you can do is give Christ your life. He died for you so you could live. And if you've never made that decision and you're saying, Hey, Pastor Keith, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to ask Him in my life today and I want to be saved. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. I've never given Jesus my life, but today I want to commit my life to Christ. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in the chat box, I'm raising my hand. We're going to pray together today. And we're just going to ask the Lord to come into your heart and your life today and be your Savior. Amen. So let's pray this prayer together. All of us out loud, let's say it. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe 
Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I confess Jesus as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Well, God bless you today. We love you. If you've got an offering that you want to give, we've got ushers by the back door for the Ukraine relief. And again, you can do something over the next couple weeks. We love you guys. Have a blessed day in the Lord. You're dismissed.